I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter. And I am so tired. I know it's news. I'm um, never tired. And you're listening to Grow on the Go. Oh, yeah. No, it's more important <laughs> to tell you that I'm tired. I'm very tired. <laughs> Have I said I'm tired yet? I'm sorry you're tired. You haven't said it for a while, so that's, no. that's progress. Yeah. But now you're in a show. I'm in a show. That's not so much why I'm tired, but I, I'm, I've been interviewing people. Oh. Like job interviews and that's a lot of peopling. That's so much peopling, and you have to be on, and you have to actively try to get people's best and also the most honest responses to things out of right. people. It's such a chess game. So to be clear, you're not interviewing people like for our show. You're interviewing no, for jobs for jobs. Yeah, at, at, pod where at you my work. at my job, my big kid job. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, it's interesting you made that lovely segue for me because we're going to be talking oh. about every Christian's job description. You know what's funny? I can see your notes. Oh, your computer is singing. That's it fun. Is, isn't that special? Yeah, how nice. Um, I I can see your notes, and I uh, I didn't even catch on to that. <laughs> I mean, I am a genius, and I did that on purpose. Your oh, computer's well, still I singing. It's, and it's your husband who's oh, singing to nice. us. Yes. That's he's, nice. He's messaging me. Okay, great. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, because it's your anniversary today. Yeah, happy anniversary to me. Yeah. Your computer's singing to me. It's really a hard, it's not It's fun. a weird day. It should It should be so much more exciting, but it's kind of just like, yeah. ooh, four years of marriage in a long-distance marriage. Maybe, yeah. How about How? here? There's got to be a mute button. Well, yeah, but then is it going to hear us? That's that's mute. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, What is what going to hear us? What it, do you it, think is no, happening? I, I, don't, I don't know. Okay, so I muted your computer. That's not going to affect how we're recording. No, right? because we're not recording on your computer. Yet, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Explain it to me. I'm not uh, trying to be condescending. <laughs> no, it, it wouldn't matter if you were, because okay. I'm always confused about okay. technology. Yeah, no, great. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, technology isn't really the major part of my job, thankfully. <laughs> no, it's Trying not. to bring us back. No, it's not. So have an eye often feel over my head when it comes to technology um i yeah it's i am a i am a digital immigrant mm. you are a digital native i am indigenous to technology yes yes, yes. so um job descriptions have you ever felt over your head in your job oh absolutely every day all the time when i'm <laughs> interviewing people i'm like i'm a toddler how is this happening <laughs> i think most people still feel like they're kids a baby on yeah. the inside yeah i very much feel like i'm a a toddler driving a semi-truck <laughs> oh dear that's someone said to me the other day you're not a toddler driving a semi-truck now you're like a toddler driving a school bus which is like slightly better oh yeah it's just full of <laughs> no, vulnerable children it could be an empty school bus <laughs> okay it's smaller okay anyway all right well so um is there something in your job description that is terrifying um management which is unfortunate because my job title is manager, manager. <laughs> yeah just being in charge having to make decisions hoping it's the right one knowing that it is expected that i can make decisions quickly by myself 
um, when all I want to do is just ask someone to tell me what I should do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have had some jobs where there were things in my job description that were very frightening to me. Um, and you know, you just feel like you say, like a toddler, like, mm. how did I get in charge yeah. of this? Yeah. Who did I trick <sighs> to, to get here? Yeah. Like I had pretty ginormous budgets when I was running my interior design business, you know, you'd have like hundreds of thousands of dollars to work with. And it's like, really? Someone's trusting me to, to do this? And you to were in your this? early 20s to 30s when you were doing that, right? Oh, I did it till I was 45. Did you? Yeah. Wow. Right, I right don't until remember until my anything. first book was released. That's, oh. that's when it became apparent that there is not time to do both these things. Sure, you remember, you remember bringing a set of um, blueprints into a meeting? Yeah, I remember once. being like five, though. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, you were older than that. I wouldn't have had you. Uh, no, you didn't have me. You were, anyway, mom couldn't find blueprints that were in the car. I found them. I tried to get my older sister like to bring in them the in. Me- I was in the meeting. You were in the meeting, you guys yeah. were waiting in the car. And I mm-hmm. tried to get Kendall to bring them in because she was four years older than me and she wouldn't. So yeah, I went in. Yeah, she was in that I'll be so embarrassed phase. No, but she also wasn't a teenager yet. She was just more shy than I was. Mm. I remember being like, <laughs> like having to peek over the counter at the receptionist. <laughs> really? Yes. Anyway. I was a mm. child. I, uh, you know, there were some kind of important decisions I had to make. You know, yeah. things could have fallen down. That would have been bad. Yeah, like you, you, like buildings. Like Yeah, like structure. Yeah, because yeah, you were allowed to say like, man, we don't need this well. Yeah, well, what people don't understand is there's a difference between interior decorators who are about finishes. Yeah. And interior designers who who have some more architectural type training. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I think it's pretty natural um, to think of ourselves as insignificant Mm. or, you know, incapable or toddlers, as you have wisely (laughs) said. That's a very, that's a good word picture. And even great leaders often will privately confess that they, they're afraid that one day somebody's going to figure out that they don't really know what they're doing and mm-hmm. they've been faking it all along. Everyone is faking it. I, I think everyone feels that way. And the thing is, Jesus is the one person we can't fool, right? He created us. He knows us intimately. And he's the one who gives us our job description. When he walked on the earth, he presented one general overarching mission for those who followed him and in future generations who would follow him. And that um, that overarching mission came in two forms, a command and a commission. And today I want us to talk about the command. Um, why don't you read it where it's recorded in uh, Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Okay. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So that's a pretty tall order, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, but when, I, when I'm explaining my faith to people who are unsaved or unchurched or whatever, that's usually kind of what I boil it down to. Jesus said it comes down to two things. Love God, love people. Everything yeah. else in the book is based on those things. It's true. Like, really, that that is a summary of all of the commandments. Yeah, that's it. That's 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 the belief system. That's yeah. the faith. Yeah. 
And, and we can get more insight into exactly what that means, love God, love people, by paging over to Luke chapter 10. Um, one day when Jesus was teaching in a public place, a lawyer, in other words, an expert in Jewish law, mm-hmm. stands up and confronts Jesus. He's trying to entrap Jesus into saying something incriminating. Um, and he asks, what must I do to inherit e- eternal life? Right question, wrong motive. Jesus asks the lawyer what the law says and how he interprets it. And he recites the great commandment. Why don't you read that? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So that's interesting. You kind of wonder, well, what about grace? Like, why doesn't Jesus just say, Believe in me, put your eternal hope in me, and you will inherit eternal life. He doesn't say that because he sees the guy's heart. Yeah. He knows his motives. Yeah. He knows about the spiritual pride that's blinding him to his own need. And the reality is we have to confront the bad news about our own spiritual condition before we're willing (laughs) to hear the good news, Mm. right, that Jesus offers. Yeah. And the man wanted to justify his actions, and so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Just like a lawyer, to look for a loophole. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Apparently, he believed he passed the first test without any question. Of course, he loved God with every fiber of his being, all the time. And by his own definition of the word neighbor, he was okay with the second part, too. Perfect love, 24-7. But Jesus discerns his motive and his pride. And he knew his mind was not open to refine, uh, redefine what he considered a neighbor, who mm-hmm. he had to love. Well, and I think um, love was at the time, for a lot of people, particularly a lot of the like Jewish officials, um, there was a misconstrual, which I'm not sure is a word, of... Um, misconstrual. Yeah, misconstrual. That's me. <laughs> Hello, it's me, Miss Construal. Um, they would mistake obedience or or like adherence, mm-hmm. compliance, compliance as love, um, and it was more about rules than relationship. Mm. And to be fair, I'm pretty sure before the new covenant, before mm. Jesus died on the cross, it was less relational and more. Like there was more distance between God because God called Abraham his friend. True, that's true. He, um, you know, he let Moses see his the back of him Mm -hmm. as he uh, went by. He he said that David was a man after his own heart. heart, Yeah. So there was certainly um, intimacy there Mm. with individuals. Maybe not. Maybe not everybody. Um, But. so you you're really talking about the way people love God and and um what I'm focusing on here is the way these Jewish officials love people. Yeah. They they generally only loved certain people, mm-hmm. like the ones they agreed with. Yes, and yeah, the acceptable people, the yeah. palatable people. Yes. Even though the Torah, which they studied, defended and supposedly loved, instructs people to love strangers. 52 times, in fact. (laughs) There's instruction in the Jewish law on how to treat everybody from an Edomite to an ox. 
it's literally an ox and it de- it demands kindness and compassion to all mm. knowing this jesus tells the story of the good samaritan to open their minds and ours to the kind of indiscriminate loving he wants from us there were few people jews could imagine expressing to or accepting love from less than the samaritans they felt superior to samaritans in every way and were Samaritans, was that, that was just an ethnicity? Was there a religion tied to that? Yeah. So remember we talked um, last time we recorded about the fact that the Samaritans were Jewish people who had intermarried right. yes. with We've Canaanite people. Yeah. And so they had a form of Judaism, but it was kind of... judaism light. Well, I wouldn't say... Uh, I would say it was corrupted. Okay, sure. Not that the Judaism that the Jews were practicing <laughs> was in wasn't its perfect purest form. Totally corrupted yeah. in many ways. Yeah. So he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and in the story, the cool thing is it's a Jewish man who's injured, mm. and two Jewish men pass by and don't help him. Mm-hmm. It's a Samaritan that would have been hated by the Jewish people that, that stopped and helped at great personal expense. Mm-hmm. So I think any honest soul knows. Oh, first of all, let me just say that after telling the story, Jesus says to the people listening, go and do likewise. Like do what the Samaritan dude did. And I'm sure people were thinking, seriously? I mean, any honest soul knows that they can't possibly fulfill the law of love to love our neighbor meaning everyone, as we love ourselves. We can't do that on our own steam. We're talking about phenomenal selflessness here. Huge inconvenience, not to mention potential self-endangerment. I mean, the Samaritan had no way of knowing that whoever attacked the the Jewish man wasn't Mm -hmm. still hiding in the ditch. Mm -hmm. I've actually walked this route from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it's, it's a twisty... It's a pretty treacherous trail. Yeah. Well, and it was notorious for for It was notorious. Yes, that's exactly right. So, um, you know, anyone who is being honest, um, I think, oh, let let me also say that um, not only was there inconvenience and potential endangerment, there was a major outlay of cash and time. Yeah. Anyone who's being honest realizes that we can only begin to get it right this business of loving our neighbors by the power of Christ at work in us. Mm -hmm. Jesus knows this and he wanted the lawyer and he wants us to have the humility to realize that we need his life, his love, his power in us. If we have any hope of loving God and loving people the way he wants us to. And Jesus telling of the story was in one sense, a refusal to define the kind of person we need to love. It was a creative way of communicating this. Your neighbor is the person you love and serve. Love everyone, the people in your small group, the people who refuse to get vaccinated, the bag lady downtown, the convicted criminal in prison, the gay man dying of AIDS, the prostitute on the streets of Manila, the orphan in Somalia, the young woman at the abortion clinic, and yes, the doctor who works there. Jesus' story demonstrates that our love is to be both practical and excruciatingly inclusive. Mm -hmm. We're commanded to love people.
people, not just Christian people, not just nice people, not just people like ourselves, all people. Remember when we used to play scum mm -hmm. as a family? If you have never played scum, it's a card. Some people call it president, I think. President scum. Uh, some people mm -hmm. call it president a-hole. Oh, yeah. Nice. I just, Thanks I, for sharing people, that. No, but if people <laughs> know it by that name, I want them to know what we're what talking about. Okay, yeah. so Be it's inclusive. A, it's a card game all about status. At the beginning of the game, each player draws a card, and the value of that card determines that player's social standing at the beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. The person with the highest status is called the king or the president. The person with the least is the scum. And the scum has to deal and collect every hand. And although it is possible for every player, including the skung, scum, to improve his social standing in the game and even become king, it's much more difficult the lower you are on the totem pole. The scum has many disadvantages in the game. He's got more cards, worse cards, and almost no opportunity to play cards. Jesus' frequent companions were the scum of his culture. Jesus didn't just talk about inclusivity he modeled it. Mm -hmm. His indiscriminate love for people attracted him to gangsters and hookers, lepers and Samaritan half-breeds. He almost seemed to go out of his way to hang out with people on the fringes of proper society or the wrong side of the tracks. Remember, Jesus took the scenic route to Galilee in order to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman. He invited himself to dinner at the home of a white-collar crook who worked at the first-century Roman equivalent of the IRS, or the Canada Revenue mm -hmm. Agency. He accepted the adoring touch of a prostitute, and he offered the accepting touch to a, uh, an accepting touch to a leper. Now, lepers, let's talk about lepers, because they were seen as particularly heinous in that first-century culture. Leprosy was thought to be a result of, or a punishment for, sin. And I believe there is some biblical precedence mm -hmm. for that. Not necessarily every time, but um, not not. Well, let me let me continue. Okay, maybe, yeah, unpack that. Maybe it'll get clear, and if it doesn't, then we'll talk mm -hmm. about it. Okay. Um, it was a disease that was considered so horrible; it was often used as a metaphor for sin. In fact, if you suffered from leprosy, you didn't go to a doctor to have your condition assessed; you went to a priest. Mm. And a lot of that. It wasn't just one disease. There were a lot of different. Um, uh, contagious skin conditions that were referred to as leprosy in the first century. Uh, and so lepers were banished to live their lives out, outside the city. Basically, they lived on the city dump. They were deprived of their livelihood and their families, robbed of their dignity and, and reduced to begging for food. And it was considered totally acceptable by some to throw rocks to shoo lepers away. They were literally the bottom layer of pond, pond scum. I've heard it said that the sufferers of HIV and AIDS are the lepers of today. I'd say the mm -hmm. lepers of 20 years ago. Yeah, it's not so much a, a thing now. Um, we know a lot more about HIV and full-blown AIDS is not super common at this point. Right, yeah. right. And, and there are some ways that I think that this is true. Maybe not now, but it certainly has been in mm -hmm. the past. Um, certainly there was early on a lot of fear connected with the virus um, because it had taken so many lives. And many Christians expressed a similar link between the disease and sin. But I think, I mean, if we're to call a spade a spade, I think what really repels so many 
in the evangelical community isn't HIV or even AIDS. It's homosexuals. It's the people that they blamed for the disease. Yeah. And it spread quickly through through that community, but it is not, not they did not make the disease. It does not only affect right. gay men. Right. Yeah. It can be passed from mother to child and all kinds of other things. It can things. be passed mm. through sharing needles mm. or yeah. even, like, using mm. a, the same, like, bill to snort cocaine. Mm. Um, well, and, you know, so much more is known now, but in the early stages, just like the early stages of COVID, fear. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was out disinfecting their mail and their groceries. and Yeah, yeah you know? there's still some validity mm. to that. But, yeah, anyway. We digress. We digress. What a shock that yeah. we would do that. Um, I think many Christians do have a particular hatred for this group of people and this particular sin. Mm. Somehow, to us, it seems worse than the sins that we struggle with. And that judging grudge uh, can really create a them-us mentality, which becomes a wide canyon that presents prevents us from reaching them loving them, and serving them. Someone once said something I've never been able to forget. We only love Jesus as much as the person we love the least. That actually has a biblical basis, and I'm not going to get into it today because we just don't have time, but I think it's true. And Jesus said that when we meet the needs of, quote, the least of these, unquote, we're doing it for him. When we, we refuse to love and serve gays or Arabs or Goths or any group of people, we're painting Jesus with the same brush. Scripture tells us we express our love for Jesus by obeying him. He said in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. So how can we deliberately disobey the law of love, neighbor love, and claim to be Christians? I mean, we may have bigger problems than prejudice or disobedience. We may be fooling ourselves into even thinking that we are Christians. Mm -hmm. The second problem associated with the rift between ourselves and any group we see as other is that we alienate ourselves from a population of people who, like all of us, need the grace and the power of God in their lives. They need his love, his acceptance and forgiveness expressed through his body his representatives on earth. This need is often unmet because of our confusion, I think, between acceptance and approval. Mm -hmm. We tend to think that in order to express our disapproval of a certain lifestyle or belief system, we have to withhold acceptance. And that certainly isn't how Jesus engaged people. Of course, Jesus didn't approve of adultery or fraud or the many other sinful, sinful behaviors that were, were um, indulged in by his friends. But because he accepted them, they trusted him with their fear, their shame, and their secrets, often turning away from their sin and making a clean start. Now, with the religious elite, it was another story entirely, like this, this lawyer that approached Jesus. Jesus held the Pharisees and scribes to a whole other standard. He held them accountable to a level of morality he never expected of those outside the faith. And here's where we get confused. We tried to hold society in general to a standard of behavior demanded of us as Christ followers. Mm -hmm. Instead, we need to hold the church accountable to behave like representatives of Jesus by living morally exemplary lives and loving, accepting, and serving those not yet in the family of God. Preach. (laughs) I think I am. 
it, it, I think it just must make Jesus weep when we accept his lavish grace for ourselves and then like are practically doling it out with an eyedropper to people we consider unworthy. Mm -hmm. We need to change our thinking about our treatment of the LGBTQ community in particular because the world is watching. Yes. The book Unchristian cites uh, a study conducted by the Barna Group in which over 90% of non-Christians identify Christians as being the people who are against homosexuals. This is the most agreed on identifier of Christians in the study. Doesn't that just make you sick? That, like my, there's pressure in my chest reading that. I know, it's, it's that horrible. That makes me want to cry. Is that how we want to be known? Mm -mm. I certainly don't. I'm sure Jesus doesn't want to be represented that way. According to the Bible, homosexual activity is sin. But homosexuals are no, are no more or less sinners than heterosexuals with lust problems or drinking problems or gossip problems or temper, temper problems. But for the blood of Jesus, we are all sinners. Now, maybe your biggest acceptance issue isn't with the homosexual community. Maybe it's lazy people. Maybe it's liberals or eco-terrorists or Hispanics or teenagers. For me, it actually probably is teenagers. <laughs> Not their fault, they're awful, but they're just awful. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm acquainted with people who used to be teenagers. <laughs> right here. Loving indiscriminately means we speak disrespectfully about no one. We fight for justice for all people. We give and we serve. That is our job description. That is the command. So let's ask Jesus to help us see people the way he does. Let's employ his grace to make allowances for people's behaviors and backstories. We don't know how we'd act if we'd lived their stories. Maybe we'd behave the same way as the person we struggle to love. We need to remember our own sin and the outrageous grace of Jesus, who through his death and resurrection, put it away from us as far as the East is from the West. I have a tattoo about that. Yes, you do. So that nearly wraps up our episode for today, but I do want to mention that next week is a share show. Can it you remind is. us what a share show is? A share show is a show that um, we'd like you to listen to with a question in mind. Who is in my life who doesn't know Jesus mm -hmm. who would benefit from hearing this show? And then follow it up with a conversation about the show. It might be something that would open up a conversation for you that might not otherwise happen. Mm -hmm. The next share show, show that easy, was easy for you for to say. You named it. <laughs> that is next week is called the odd magnetism of the cross. Ooh, interesting. Oh. This is when we find out that the cross suspense. was magnetic all the time. Conspiracy. <laughs> so we love for you to visit us on Instagram. It's Grow in the Go Pod. Mm -hmm. um, or Donna Carter on Facebook. Yeah, leave mm -hmm. comments, leave questions, leave topic ideas. Mm -hmm. We do love to interact with you. You are, someone is listening, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> we are in a blanket fort in my childhood bedroom. All we by ourselves. No, I, well, there's also a dog here. Oh, true enough. But he's asleep. We have no idea what else is going on in the world. Except help. That makes it sound like we're being, we're being held hostage. Anyway, this is deteriorating quickly, so I think it's as good a time as any to say that's it for us today on Grow on the Go. I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter. Thanks 
for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.